This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Guys, very good. Parshas Korah 5782, Perak Tes Zion, Pasuk Zion. Okay, so we all know the basic story of Korach, Dos, and Aviram, their families, and what happened to them, swallowed up by the earth, the 250 men that were burned by the fires of their own Ketoris. Now, in Parakhtazayim, Pasuk Chavzayim, Moshe Rabbeinu walks over to Dos and Vaviram, right? And he sees that they're, they're, they have no, no inkling, no desire at all to do tshuva or to make up with Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu tells the people, everybody get out. Stay away. You don't want to be around when this happens. So in Chavzayim, it says, Vayalu me'al mishkan korach dos and vaviram misaviv. They went away. All of Bnei Israel went away from the area of korach dos and aviram from all around. V'dos and vaviram yotzu nitzavim pesach ha'aleim. And dos and aviram, they went out standing by the opening of their tents. They were standing. And what that means, seemingly, we'll see, is like with, you know, faces up like, eh, you know. Unashem ubneim v'tapam. Their wives, their children, their babies were with them as well. Everybody was with them as they were standing there. So the Malbim says that Bnei Yisrael took Moshe Rabbeinu's words a few psukim earlier in Pasuk Chavav very seriously. When Moshe Rabbeinu said, get away, you don't want to be caught up in the punishments that were de- destined for Dustin, Aviram, Korach's family, and everybody else, they did exactly what it says in the beginning of this Pasuk. They walked away. They didn't want to look like Kofrim. They wanted to look like they denied HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and they were not like them. They believed in Moshe Rabbeinu. They believed in Moshe's mission, and for that reason, Hashem's anger was turned away from the people. Not against these guys, but again from the people, Hashem was not angry with them. Nitziv adds that Dustin and Aviram assumed they weren't going to be punished. Moshe had come to, to them to warn everyone to stay away from them, possibly I, I excommunicate them, but to stay away from them. And that would be it. Not that they were going to die, right? They didn't think that. That's why they weren't afraid and they stood at the entrance of the tent, thinking that nothing was going to happen. That's how the Nitziv says it over here. The Rahaim Akadosh says, You see from this Pusik the evil of what's called the klipos, the shells of Tuma in this world and what it does to a person. I, even after all of Bnei Yisrael, right, were afraid of what was going to happen and they ran away. Dasan and Aviram, who were caught up in their own ideas and what they wanted, they couldn't leave. They couldn't think of anything else. They knew that something was going to happen. Unlike the Nitziv, who says they didn't think anything bad was going to happen. They knew, says the Orachai Makadosh. And they still came out defiant. They still looked Moshe Rabbeinu in the eye and said, you're not going to tell us what to do. What crazy people were this? What, what kind of a person does this? And that's how Moshe Rabbeinu said, you will know now, oh, Isaac, you will know that something is wrong, that you're guaranteed something's going to happen. And they honestly thought to themselves, such a crazy thought. They convinced themselves that Moshe was doing this on their own, on his own, without God involved. And therefore he said, he told them, you will soon know that this is 100% from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and not from me. And that's the idea. Not only are they going to die, they're going to be punished forever. There's going to be something for their descendants. And this is obviously going to be a huge idea. That's the Orachim HaKadosh. Look at what happened. Now, hold on, hold on, Rega, just let, let's go on a little bit about this idea. Those nine Latorah says, based on the Medrash, that another of you didn't want to meet Moshe Rabbeinu at all. So when he came by to get them to do tshuva, they went into their houses. They walked in so that they couldn't even talk to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to walk inside their house. So Moshe Rabbeinu stood there waiting for them. And can you imagine, the, the, the azus of such people, the brazenness, they stood out, they stood inside and they said, well, he's, he's not going to stay here forever. 
That's when Moshe Rabbeinu realized he couldn't do anything else, and he did excommunicate them. He put them in Cherem. Maybe neither. I don't know which exactly the status was. Once they heard they were banned, that's when they stood at the front of the tent because they knew Moshe couldn't come close to them. That's when they said, all right, now we can stand outside. Moshe's not going to come near us. He excommunicated us. He won't come near, and we're not worried about anything. That was their process. Well, what, what an unbelievable thought process. That was what he said. Now, what does Nitzavim mean? Rashi says, Bekomaz Kufa. That means with a straight-up back, looking back at Moshe and saying, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to tell us what to do? They stood there. They were degrading Moshe, cursing out God, right? The same word that's used by Goliath when he stood outside of the camp of Israel, when they were doing all those terrible things for 40 days, making fun of Kriyashma, making fun of God, everything that was there. The exact same word is here. Over there, it's by Yatsev Arboim Yom, that he stood there for 40 days. This is Nitzavim. That's how bad it was. Now, Rashi elsewhere says, we know that it's this word that Dustin Abiram used to stand up to Moshe Rabbeinu. He did it in Mitzrayim. When they were in Mitzrayim and Paro added on work and he said, near Pimatem, near Pim, you guys are a bunch of lazy bums. In the end of Parsha Shmos, there were men that stood Nitzavim outside of Paro's palace ready to yell at Moshe Rabbeinu. Those men, says Rashi, were Dustin and Abiram. Dustin and Abiram could not stop themselves. In the same way it was Nitzavim over there, it's Nitzavim over here. It's the same word that's, missing, that, that's being used in this way. Okay, there's a couple of portions that try to explain this. The Gorarie, for example, he goes into this a little bit, right? You'd need to say something else if you refer to somebody else. The Shach brings down that their wives were worse than them. You hear this? Their wives were worse than them. They took their children with them. They were carrying the babies, holding the babies as they stood outside of their tent, screaming at Moshe Rabbeinu and all the other people to go away. We have nothing to do with you. Our husbands are tzaddikim. You don't belong here. Chazal tell us in Pesachim Mem Tesimabes that as bad as Ami Aratzim are for Kla Yisrael, that means people who don't learn Torah have nothing to do with anything, as bad as they are for Kla Yisrael, worse are the wives of Talmidei Chachamim. Amei Aratzim are worse than Ovdei Avodah And the wives of Amei Aratzim are worse than the Amei Aratzim themselves. That they're willing to do anything. We're standing here now, they said, like Atem Nitzavimayom. We're going to be standing here in the future. You're the ones who are not going to be make it, made it. We're going to be found. You're all going to be lost. What an unbelievable thing to say. It's such a crazy thing. Rabbi Yosef Nechemia, the cousin of the Chassam Sofer, says technically anyone dies through Misa Sanhedrin, when Sanhedrin kills you, Skila, Sreifa, Herachanik, all those, right? They'll have some sort of tikkun. There's going to be a tikkun right around there because they'll realize the basin is serious. So people will look at it and they'll say, oh man, we shouldn't be like them because we don't want to do what, that, what happened right over there. But that only works, he says, if people do tshuva at the end. And then they see those people that do tshuva and they say like, oh man, really? Right? That's what happens to you? I don't want to get involved with this. People get scared. That's what ends up happening. Dustin and Aviram, nothing happened for them. Their death was a Eureka. They never did tshuva until the end of their lives. Even when they were falling into Gehenna, they didn't do tshuva. The only people who did, we know, are the Bnei Korach. And that's why Makum Nispatzerlehem, they were able to be saved. Something was different. But no one could learn from Dustin and Aviram because at the end of their lives, they mamish treated themselves as if they were still right, even when going down to the bottom of Gehenna. Yes, uh, Dave, what were you going to say before? Two questions. One is, you said that there'd be something would affect their descendants, yeah. but they all got eaten up. There are no descendants. Does the dust of the get cut out of the world? So they're completely gone. You're correct. There were no descendants of them. Bnei Korach was a difference. And perhaps there were other students of Dustin and Aviram, right, that maybe got a little bit better. Again, according to what we just said, no, nobody learned from them because they didn't do chuba, but maybe. I don't know. You're saying that basically at every level, 
of bad or ignorant, mm -hmm. the, the wife or the woman in that scenario is always even worse or lower. That's what the Gemara Mstachem says, Does right. Does that work in the other way? Of I would assume so, right? We do say that Sarimenu is greater than Avram. You know, it's a good call. Yeah, the assumption is that the wives of Tzadikim are greater than the Tzadikim themselves in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, no. Um, they won't say that how Yeshua Bukharfa is that he's, he's the son of Akiva and Akiva is the Dovo of Kaira. So it could be that. No, we don't do stuff like that. I mean, the only thing you can get close to is there is, I mean, we do have, the Shlach Kaddish always said that he was from Korach. The Shlach Kaddish said that he was a descendant of Korach. You have to be a Levi, obviously, right? But you have to be that way. Shmuel Anavi was a descendant of Korach. We know that because Shmuel Anavi was the person that Korach saw in his dream, thinking that he was going to be great, knowing that he was going to have the king of Klaus, you saw Shmuel Anavi at the time, as one of his descendants. So there's something. But, I, we, I, you know, when it comes to that sort of stuff, we don't, we don't go into those, those things exactly. Now, there's a little bit more. The Sefer Vayatsev Avram, the Rebbe Rebak, I think it is, from Australia, he says, there is a way to use Azus in a positive fashion. This type of brazenness that Dustin Abiram had, there is a way to do that. And that's on Roshani Yom Kippur. You know, we go to God and we ask him, can you do this for us? We want something from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We go up to people and we're brazen in front of them. We say, like, no, 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 we're not going to do what you're telling us to do. You know, Pinchas was using Azus in the possible fashion, right? Nitzavim can be good. And it can be used in a possible way. But they used it in a way of chutzpah, in a bad way, and that's what took them down. The truth is, says Menachem Tzion, whenever someone stands up to someone else, that shows that he's got something terrible inside. He's got something in there. Now be careful with this, since he doesn't have kavod habrios. It doesn't mean you can't give musr. But there's a way of giving musr, and there's a way of yelling at somebody. A guy just came to me today, a young guy in Kayetz, came to my office today with his counselor. And the counselor said, can you talk to him? He's yelling at all the people for talking about you know, bad things in the room. Now, Grant, there were conversations in the room that were improper for anybody to have, especially in the yeshiva camp. That's a bad thing to have, right? This kid, right, was going up to them and saying they're all going to Gehenna, and they're terrible people. And he said, you know, he called them names, whatever, one after the other. And I'm like you think that that's going to help? <laughs> do you think that going up to them and giving them in that way, like that Azus, right? It might stop you, but do you think it's going to help them? Like, why not do something a little bit different? So I made an incentive program with him. The more that he gets these guys to daven or learn every time he gets something to go, and if one guy, if he gives some guy, if some guy that's there, if he gets that guy to get a haircut, I said, like, I will give you X, Y, and Z. We went into an incentive program for this guy to be a little bit nicer. But it's difficult when you're giving mustard, like, whatever it is, right? I'm sorry? Why do you hurt the counselors like that? Not the counselor. It's not the counselor. It was the kid. Yeah, the kid. You know what I'm saying? Bothering the counselor. Sounds like no, 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 no. It's the kid that was yelling at other kids. And the counselor came because it was a little bit much, right? So sorry, the story sounds exactly. It is. It's guys. Yeah, 100%. It was, a, it was a crazy, not that they would talk about anything improper inside any of the rooms. That, that obviously would not be. But, you know, the, but everything else. And that's the idea behind it. And that's the idea. Like, the idea is, is to be able to find that way that you could stand up to your friend, but not do it in a benarmul chavero issue where you're doing it in a way where the other person feels terrible about what he's done and doesn't get anything better from it. He doesn't improve from it. That's the idea. Now, this was not the first time the Rebbe Yashav says that they did something like this. This happened while they were in Mitzrayim. In Mitzrayim, they stood up in front of Moshe. Like we said before, they said, who are you, Moshe, to tell us what to do? But tell me, why weren't they swallowed up in the ground back then? What was the difference? That back then, not only were they not swallowed up by the ground, they didn't even die during Choshech. 
They survived and left Mitzrayim. They experienced Kriyas Yamsuf. They saw the Makos happen. Now go for a foe, the way the Gemara says it. There were some awesome things that happened for them. Why in the world did that happen? So he says, this is how the, the Rebel Yashu says, it was Molly Sesam. He waited for them to fill up their kli. In other words, a kli of punishment. You do this amount, you're not going to get punished yet. But once you fill it up, then you, you automatically get punished. The idea is, he says, what a weird muscle. I've heard this muscle in like an opposite fashion. Muscle to a man who went out of town in order to become a great musician. So he became a great musician, very, very well known. And when he came back to his old town, everybody came out to greet him, to congratulate him on his awesome accomplishments, the fact that he became all that. And one guy said, can I hear you play? Can I hear you play? And the experienced musician said to him, look, it makes no sense for me to play for you and just for you. If I'm going to play, I'm going to play for everyone together. And that's the exact same idea, says Rav Yashiv. I'm not going to just punish a guy every time he does something stupid. I'm not going to do that. When the guy does a bunch of things that are stupid, that's a different story. I don't know if that works in a regular court system. You know, like, I guess it could in theory. If a guy, I don't know, runs a stop sign once and the judge says, look, I'm going to put you on probation now. But if you do it again, then I'm going to, you know, double the ticket and I'm going to make it worse. I, I understand they do that, right? Yeah, they'll look at your record. They'll look at your record. And it makes sense. Like, once you did a bunch of things, but one thing, I'm not going to knock you out. I'm sorry? Repeat offender? Yeah. I'm sorry? Three strikes. Oh, it's so true. And you're out in baseball. That's amazing. Yeah. I heard today about some guy who has, like, 100, like, robbery arrests. They just keep putting him back. 100? Yes, literally 100. I don't know why that guy would ever stop. I would, I would keep going. <laughs> He's got a record going here. He is by far the worst thief, though, because if you get caught that many times, you can't be worse than that. I'm pretty sure you can't be worse than that. Now, Teferis Yonason, Rabbi Yonason Ipschitz, has a massive chiddish. I have never heard this before. Listen to this. He says that the tents of Dustin and Aviram already began to sink when Moshe Rabbeinu started going up to them. It was already like the sinkhole that was beneath their tents started to go a little bit further down. It started to go down a little bit, right? It would encourage them to do tshuva because clearly something's happening. They would be shocked. They'd sit there like, oh my gosh. That's why the Pesach said, Vaya'alu. B'nai Yisrael went up. You know what happened? They, the, the, literally, the land sunk a little bit. They're like, oh my gosh. So they climbed up out of the hole. And they're like, this is crazy. Absolutely crazy. Moshe Rabbeinu told them it would happen. Guys, get out. Get out. Before anything happens, get out. And that way you'll be rewarded for it. But B'nai Yisrael did not leave, says Rabbi Yonas and Ibshitz. They did not leave until the land sunk a little bit. And they were like, ah! And they screamed. They all ran up by Yalu. B'nai Yisrael climbed up out of there. But Dustin and Aviram... Not only did they not move, when their tents went down a little bit, Nitzavim, they stood up taller on their tippy toes to make them look like they were taller than, the land's not sunk down a little bit. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. What, you guys are down a little bit. No, we're not. What are you talking about? We're right here. Don't you see us? They stood up to make it look like they were fine. And when they didn't learn their lesson from that, that's when the whole thing went completely down. I've never heard that before in my life. Rabbi Yonason Ibshitz brings that in two different pieces in this parsha. that that's what was happening. And that is so explains the word Vaya'alu. And that's what the Medjagadu means. They were mamish at the Pesach of Gehenim. The doorway of Gehenim, they didn't do tshuva. They were all the way, already on the way down. The, the tents were falling down in front of them. And they didn't care. Didn't mean anything to them. Yeah, Dave. So it sounds very similar to uh, Amalek's philosophy. 
where they know that there's Hashem, they know that there's all these Nisim and, these and putting Sfakos in the world. Doing it anyway, I, I, I don't know. You'd have to do like one of those deep, deep dive studies into, you know, the similarities between a person like Korach, the Maraglan, a Malik, and whatever, and see like what each one, what their real issue was. I'd love to see if there's a safer that goes into but the actual hate of each is one. It, is it this is Azus. No, this is definitely Azus. But you're right. A Malik stands for Gaiva. It's but I don't know what the, you know the at the real differences between them. You'd need somebody who really goes into something like that. Knowing that like mm-hmm. it's going down. Right, you know it's going down, and you're willing to go down with it. It's crazy. Now Rashi says in this pasuk, he says, "Come and see how terrible it is to be involved in machlokas." Bazdin down here only punishes after the age of thirteen. We know that, right? Bazdin Shomaila only punishes after the age of twenty. That's kares misabide shemayim, etc. That only happens then. But this machlokas killed children. Little kids died with Dustin and Aviram. Their families were swallowed up. That does not just mean the adults. Little kids died. Says Rashi, machlokas, an argument, can destroy even kids. Rechaim Paltiel wonders what the big deal is here. He says it's Gemar and Shabbos, Lama Beis and Beis. Ba'avon Nidarim, if guys swear, promise things, and never give it, Banim mesim kishem kitanim. Their children die when they're little kids. I'm not going to go into that idea right now. There's an unbelievable marshal over there about this concept. But clearly there is a way that the sins of the father affect young children. I know I realize that. But there's also right? There's an idea of how children die through the sins of their father. And one of them is Ba'avonidarim. She says, what's the big deal over here? If Dustin Avirim also, they probably made promises and that's probably why their kids died. He says, the shocker is that it wasn't just the younger kids. It was the older kids also. Meaning the kids who might have been over 20, over 30, they also died with their parents. It said everyone died over here. There were kids who were between the ages of 13 and 20, under 13, over 20, and all of them are gone. Aside from that, who says they made promises? Maybe they didn't make any false promises. So why did these kids die? What happened over here? That's what Rechaim Paltiel says. Mizrahi wonders how he knows this. This Pusik isn't talking about the kids dying. This Pusik is talking about who was standing there. Yeah, the kids were standing there. Maybe the kids survived, just like B'nai Korach. Maybe the children of Dustin Aviram survived. Now, I know there's no Pusik for that. B'nai Korach lo mesu is already in Parshish Pinchas. That it says. But maybe, maybe the kids survived as well, says Mizrahi. He says, it makes sense. Since the Psukim are all in order over here, they're not out of order at all. And it says that the people they're sending outside the tent did not move out. B'nai Saul moved out, but the people did not move out. It makes sense. When the, swat, the ground swallowed them up, it swallowed up everyone that was there. That makes sense. You'd have to say it that way. That's what it seems like over here. That Yelis Ashachar wonders why in the world the children had to die here. It makes sense to punish the Avos, right? They should die. But for the children to die in their lifetime, and it get, by the way, it makes sense also, if a parent does something so horrible, part of the punishment to the parent is that their child, Chas Shalom dies. There's nothing worse than thinking of that. That, that. That's the worst feeling in the world that a person can have. So I get that. But if the parents are dying anyway, what's the mila of the children dying? Yeah. Right, but maybe that's only when the parent is alive, says uh, says Riff Steinman. Maybe it's only when the parent is alive. Who says when the parent is, di- is dead that it's still alive? And he says, aside from that, 
it makes sense if it's a punishment to the parent that the parent is punished by his children or grandchildren dying or great-grandchildren dying. Why would it be a punishment if the parent is already dead? That's his, that's his kasha. Well, there's a life after they know that they, their lineage. Agreed, agreed. But is that really the same effect? That's really what he's saying. Like, does that matter? Yeah, most. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not arguing with either one of you. Of course it could be, but he's asking it as a caution, just like that. In Ramban and Pasuk Lamed Beis adds on that their servants and their maid servants died. Well, why? What in the world is that? Well, that uh, understood, but that's so unfair. These are human beings, not animals. Human beings. Why in the world did they deserve to die over here? It, it, it seems like there couldn't be any zecher to them, that there couldn't be anything. That was the din. The din is that there's no zecher to them. But what does that mean exactly? So there are three ways to answer this question. I've got three ways to answer it. I've got a gurarye, I've got a ramban, and I have an oznayim latora. All three are awesome. All three are absolutely awesome. And really the question is, again, why do children die because of the sin of their parents, specifically because of arguments? Specifically because of arguments. Why is this something that caused it to happen? So the Gurarye says the Machlokas is different from any other sin in the world. Listen, if I'm a Chalo Shabbos, Chas Hashem, right? If I eat not kosher, Chas Hashem, that does not necessarily transform to my kids. It doesn't transfer, I should say, not transform, transfer over to my kids. My kids will not be more susceptible to eating not kosher or to breaking Shabbos just because I did it. That doesn't necessarily happen. However, Machlokas is connected to Gehenna. Chazal say both automatically have something attached to one another. They were both created on day two of creation. What happened on day two? Day two, the land and the Shemayim split from one another. The Rekia and the Aretz were split from one another. That's Machlokas. And says the Gemara, Gehenim was created on day two. Which means there's an automatic connection there. If you get involved in arguments, you get involved in machlokas, you get yourself involved in that, uh, in the it's, there's nothing you can do about it. You automatically have Gehenna. That fire that you feel within you when you're arguing with somebody, when you're fighting with somebody, that fire is the fire of Gehenna that's mamish inside you. It's not a punishment, says the Gorarye. Listen to this morale. It's not a punishment. It's automatic. The machlokas is the punishment. It's automatic. It's like telling a person, Listen, I'm not going to kill you. But if you kill yourself, I'm not going to stop you. I didn't do anything. That's what happens. You allowed yourself to get involved in Machlokas, says the Kodesh Baruch Hu. Gehenim's with that. There's nothing I can do about that. Additionally, he says, there are some people who act lifnim mishura zadin. Those people stay away from any type of argument that could come up. Others act bedin. They want what's theirs, right? I deserve this. I'm supposed to get this. This is what it's supposed to be. And that causes fights to break out. There are others who get involved in fights that had nothing to do with them in the first place. To say that Korach had a taina, why Aaron was chosen or some of the other people were chosen, I hear that. Fine. He had a, he had a taina. Korach had a taina. Doesn't Avirom are coming out of nowhere. What are they coming for? They're from Shevet Ruvain. If they're brothers, one of them isn't even a Bechor. So Ruvain was the Bechor. All of his children were going to become Leviim. Where do we see that? They came out of nowhere and they're coming in to create a situation that had nothing to do with them. Based in Shomayla, then judges them according to the situation that they created for themselves, says the Gorarye. Which means there is no exemption to a child that they should be judged for anything that they did, right? Since this din was brought upon themselves. They literally created their own matzib, their own situation of Gehenna. And that's exactly what happens to them, isn't it? The ground swallowing up, they found themselves in Gehenna. They 
put themselves in Gehenna. That's the idea of what Machlokas stands for. It's such a crazy idea. But that's answer number one. Machlokas is different. Yeah. So how does this, how does this relate to uh, arguments as it relates to Torah and the Gemara? There's tons of arguments. Or it was today with so the you can already use Pirkei Avos. Machlokas L'Shem Shemayim. Machlokas Shalol L'Shem Shemayim. Machlokas Shalol L'Shem Shemayim is Korach Be'adoso. And notice how it says it. Not Korach Umoshe. Korach and his Ada is Shalol L'Shem Shemayim. And a Machlokas L'Shem Shemayim is Base Hillel and Base Shammai. They might have fought tremendously. They didn't even marry into each other's families at certain points of the Gemara and Yavamas Tazayin, right? That deals with this. But regardless, they understood what they were doing and why they had to do it. That's the difference. That's Mamish, the difference so between them. bring Gehenim when you have an argument? No, because Gehenim can't come in through Torah. So it doesn't. There's another form of machlokas that you could do in the right way, and that's machlokas l'shem shemayim. That's something different. Very good question, though. Aleinu l'shabeach, Rabbi Yitzhak Zilberstein, quotes the Ramban by Parshin itself by the words, Shoresh pora rosh v'lano. We talked about this before. You have a root of wormwood within you when you do something wrong. An evil root within the father can grow within the child. Right? That's, that's possible. It's like a flower of evil that grows within them. Now, I'm giving this as an example, and whatever it is, it is. There are parents who think that they can get away with things inside their house. A hundred percent, the children know everything their parents do. There's, there's no question. You can think yourselves. There is nothing your parents have done that you don't know about, that you don't know about. Meaning, if the parent does something that's a little bit questionable, but he doesn't want people to know, he doesn't want his kids to know, the kids always know. Kids always know. You know, right? Yeah, you know. There's very, very little. No? Nothing? Then your parents are perfect. Then you don't have to worry about anything. I know absolutely nothing about either. <laughs> then you're just a space out. <laughs> but it's the, it's the way it is. Like, it's impossible for a parent to really hide anything from a kid. And that's the idea. If the parents are bale machlokas, says the Ramban, the children will always take it one step further. Better for them, and this is how Rabbi Yisrael says it, by Shorosh Parov Zhulanov, by that Ramban, better for them to die while still innocent than to die after they've already done something wrong. And that's the reason why. Take them down now before anything happens. The Maskil David says the exact same thing. Chazal say Machlokis is like a stream of water that flows out. Kevin de Ravach Ravach. Once you give it space, it's going to grow. It's going to be huge. That water is just going to grow and grow and grow. That's what happens by Machlokis. You allow it to go out, it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You try to get involved to try to stop the Machlokis, yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. How does that happen? Like when the senators get together, you think they can stop Machlokis? Thinking they can stop arguing with one each other? No, they just pull everybody else inside. That's what happens. And it's similar to, he calls it, a Ben Sorer Umora. A Ben Sorer Umora. The kid's 13 years old, and he stole meat and a little bit of wine. You're going to kill him? The answer is, yeah. Yeah, this is not going to get any better. Again, I know the concept of tshuva. I've heard of it before. I know the concept. I've heard these ideas before. And nonetheless, machlokes is different, says the way that Yitzhak Zobershin is understanding the Ramban by Shorosh Porosh Now, the third one is the Oznayim Torah. There is a certain amount of hashpa that a parent has on their children that nobody else will ever have. Even a Rebbe, even the greatest Rebbe will never be able to have. Dust and Abiram's children were by their parents' side when Moshe Rabbeinu was yelled at. Moshe Rabbeinu told them to do tshuva, and they refused. They were by their parents' side, standing by them. They ended up dying with them and going to shoal deep in the ground. On the other hand, point, look at this point. The Bnei Korach were not with their father when their father got, we don't know what happened with him. Either he got burned or got swallowed up or both. That's based on the Pesach and Pinchas and Parshish Pinchas. We don't know exactly what happened to Korach. But the Bnei Korach weren't with him. 
The children that were with Dustin and Aviram went down with their father. That's it. The Bnei Korach who weren't with their father were able to survive. On a different level of show, they were able to survive in some way. They were able to save themselves from it. So that's how the Oznayim Latorah looks at it. It's the fact that they were with their parents that caused them to die. And that was the difference. Can you imagine? Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania's mother brought his, his crib over to the base measure so he could hear people learning even when he was a baby and absorb it within himself. These men's wives took their children out to hear the machlokas as they were cursing God. That's what they made them do. This enters inside the mind of a child. The child gets affected by it. They say that children learn a ton in utero from what their parents do. That's, that's a harsh thing. I don't know if it's been proven yet. I have absolutely no idea. But regardless, the concept is 100% true in our religion. We believe in it, that children get affected even inside the body of their mother. It's, a fa- it's an effect. In the end, it seems that they had the din of an irhani dachas. And by an irhani dachas, the Rambam says, even the wives and the children of those who are responsible are killed. And Migdalo says, we learn this from Adas Korach. That's the irhani dachas. So we, we get it from right over here. That's that. Now, as a side note, right, as a side note, Partis Yosef wonders something. He says, in Nidaram Zayinam Abayz, we say that becoming poor is considered like death. How do you know that becoming poor is considered like death? Where do we get that from? That being poor is like death? So the Gemara says, because Moshe Rabbeinu was told by Hashem that Mesu Kola Anashim, they died, all the men that are against you. Now, who are the men that were against Moshe Rabbeinu? The guys that told on him in the first place. Who told on Moshe in the first place that made him run away? Dustin Aviram. Mesu Kola Anashim, but we know they're not dead. We know they're not dead. Dustin and Aviram are 100% alive. They're not dead. How could the Pasuk say, Mesu Kola Anashim? Right, how could that possibly? Must be, they became poor, they were no longer influential, and they died in Mitzrayim. That's how the Ran says it. That's how the Ran understands it. Now, I'm sorry, that's the Gemara Nidaran. The Ran there wonders, right? But someone without children is also considered dead. We said if somebody doesn't have kids, that's also one of the things that's there. It's Saras, not having children, etc. Blind. Why not say that they didn't have any children? He answers that wouldn't be enough for Moshe of not to go back to Egypt. Because if the shot was they all died and they don't have children, right? Still, they might have influence. That's how the Ram puts it. They might have influence, and it's possible that that. But why would the Ram say that? Why wouldn't the Ram say, we know they had children? Because right here, Dustin and Aviram have children. It's clear they have children. This seems to be in the second year of the Midbar. They had kids. The kids are right there. They're standing with them. It's clear from the Pasuk. Dustin and Aviram had kids, right? So what does that mean? It says Benayim. It says Tapam. So they had children. Why doesn't the, the Rush says that explicitly in Adarm? What in the world is Duran doing? There are some answers here, but there are, this question I think is better than the answer. It's just a very famous Ron, and it's a very, very strange thing to be able to go through. Yeah. Um, so didn't... Uh, yeah, there's a Baramayim Chaim that says that they, you know, it's a Hasidic Sefer that, that says that they had their own Kriyas Yamsuf because of so Tshuva, they were the 13th split, they whatever. Paro, yeah, they were by Paro, according to the Targum Yonas and the Zero. Uh, yeah, at the very, very end. Maybe it was at the very, very end. It's a good call. Right? I, how were they poor and they, no influence, and yet at the end they were with Paro? Maybe at the end they, they ended up going to them. Meaning, oh, this is also, that was a year beforehand. They probably borrowed money at the end, so they had money. Yeah, I'm sorry. They could have been pretty young. They may not have the children then. It's possible. I mean, think about it. They're the ones that caused Moshe Binu to run away. Right. So they were at least 60. Well, I'd say at least 60. 
Moshe Rabbeinu ran away for at least six years. He was 20 years old when he left. Right. Came no, back at the age of 80. Right. So Dustin Avirin was at least 60, yeah. I'm saying they were old men when, they, when Moshe came back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so why... They had children in Israel, but, uh, that, that's, but no, no, no. This is only a year and a half later when they were the B'nai Korah, right over here. And the Pusik says straight out, it says, Neshem u'b'neihem v'tapam. If they just had babies, tapam would work. But B'neihem is clearly there. So it can't be. That, that's the question that everybody asks. Like, well, what in the world is the Ron talking about? That, that, that's clear. But I'm going to tell two stories about Machlokas, which are uh, amazing stories. One is from the Maram Shik. The Maram Shik in Chuva Ayan Dalad in Shalzichuas, he was involved in a case where a man donated a menorah shivisi, a menorah shivisi to his shoal, as well as a tachshit to the Sefer Torah. That might mean like the crown or like the, you know, the something. I don't know. He donated something. They returned the donation because he began to brag and argue with others that he donated more than them to the shoal. Right? So he began to brag to them. The Maram Shik decided, they brought it to him, and they said, you know, the guy took him to court, they said, no, I want you to keep it in the shul. The shul said, we don't want to take it, you're bragging about it. So the Maram Shik decided the shul should pay him back for his donations. Say so he paid $1,000, they gave him his $1,000 back, but whatever was donated has to stay with the seaboard that belongs to the seaboard it stays in the shul. Effectively, they took away his donation. Okay, that's what he said. On the other hand, in Simon Pei Aleph, it poskened, he poskened, that it was mutter to take a donation of a shivisi. You know what I'm talking about, a shivisi? You know, like the menorah that has the laminat seach all over it. You see it in like Sephardi Sidurim or whatever. I don't know, whatever. That, that's what he donated. He donated like a picture of whatever it is. But he said he took a donation of a shivisi, and he said you could take it from a known bawa verus, a person who's known to do a verus publicly. Because the Rambam Paskins in Ilchus Maisa Kovonus Paragimel, that donations can help a person do tshuva. What's Pshat? The Maram Shik said about the guy who's doing Machlokas, who's arguing with everybody and getting into arguments about whatever it is, he said, that guy, we can't accept any donations from him. Give, it back, don't, give him back his money, don't take anything from him. Yet this guy who's a Balaveris, you can accept donations from him? What's Pshat? What's Pshat? It's obvious that this is the idea behind it. A Balmachlokas is totally different from a regular Balaveris. A Balmachlokas you can't accept. He has no shaykhist to anything. We would even tell a Kohen who does Averos and he's worried that maybe he shouldn't do Birchas Kohenim, right? We would tell him he should do Birchas Kohenim. There are exceptions. There are certain things that a Kohen cannot do Birchas Kohenim if he did certain Averos, right? Or if he's married to somebody he shouldn't be married to, if he killed somebody, etc., right? But regardless, if a guy is a Baal Averos, he says, I don't want to do Birchas Kohenim. We tell him, do Birchas Kohenim because maybe that'll help you. Maybe that'll help you become a better person so you'll become better for the future. Not a Baal Machlokas. Not about Machlokas. Says the Maram Shik, that's totally different. Such a person is never going to do tshuva. Is that crazy? Number two, Rav Moshe Schwab. Rav Moshe Schwab. It's Rav Shimon Schwab's brother? I don't remember. I somehow related to Rav Shimon. I forgot how. He said one time a bachor in yeshiva was caught being Machalo Shabbos in Radin by the Chavetz Chaim. Right? Now, the Chavetz Chaim wasn't that whatever. The Roshiva at the time was Tzvi Hirsch Levinson. Tzvi Hirsch Levinson went to the Chavetz Chaim to ask what to do. The guy was Machalo Shabbos. We have to throw on a yeshiva. What do we do? He told them to keep the, keep the whole thing a secret. Don't tell anyone that he was Machal Shab. He said, did anybody know about it? No. Keep the Chal Shab as a secret. Deal with him privately. Get him Chavrusas that will be Gidoyalei Torah and had Yiras Shemayim. Help him find a taste in learning. Deepen his own Yiras Shemayim, his appreciation for everything he's doing in Yeshiva, and he will be successful in the end. Soon after that, the cook 
came to the Roshiva and said there was a Bakr in Yeshiva who started yelling at him, acted with tremendous brazenness about his food, right, told him about whatever it was, right, and got into an argument with him. Rav Levinson calmed down the cook. And as a side note, happened to be talking to the Chavetz Chaim about what that Bakr did. The Bakr yelled at the cook and whatever it was, right? He told the Roshiva, Chavetz Chaim told the Roshiva, get that kid out immediately. Kick him out. Kick him out of Yeshiva. So Rav Levinson said, how can that be? You just told me by a guy who's Mechalo Shabbos, Mechalo Shabbos, you said, keep him in Yeshiva and let him learn. And this guy, you just argued with the cook? You're telling me to kick him out immediately? This is what the Chavetz Chaim said. Chavetz Chaim said, a person who's Mechalo Shabbos has taivas and there's a lack of Yerushalayim. You can work on that. That's something that can be fixed. You have taivas, you can work on your taivas. Lack of Yerushalayim, you don't believe in God in some way, shape, or form, that can be worked on. It can be fixed. How do you fix that? Torah is a tavlin. Torah is a tavlin for that. You work through Torah and you can get the guy back. But a baumach locus and an az panim, the Gemara says, az panim legehenim. is a Gemara in Perakeh and Perakeavos. It's a Mishnah in Perakeavos and Perakeh. He has no tikkun. There's nothing you can do for that guy. So yes, kick him out of yeshiva. There's absolutely nothing you can do with a person who has Aziz Panim. I, I want you to think about that for a second. Think of that answer. I have no idea what happened in the end. It would be a wonder to see what happened in the end. Like, who was that guy? And they're just like, and he was Revel Yashiv. I have absolutely no idea. You know, that would be amazing. I don't know. Can you but yeah. Explain that? So the way I, I'm not going to do it justice right now because I don't have this farm in front of me. But the way that it's described by Chazal is somebody who is willing to do anything in front of other people and have no busha. There, they don't see anybody as more coveted as them. And I understand why you think that's like about gaiva. There is gaiva involved, obviously. But he's willing to do anything and has no booty. It's a lack of understanding where your place is in, in life. And lack of seeing how other people could deserve kavod or could use you as their, you know, somebody who's going to be chashev to them. There, there's no, there's got to be some sort of tikkun for them. There has to be some sort of... Yeah, of course. Of course there is. It's just extremely hard. The first thing you need to do is you have to recognize that that's a problem, that Aziz Panim is a problem. And that takes a, that's really hard. Who's going to convince an Az Panim that he has a problem? That's his whole problem in the first place. He doesn't think he has a problem. Right? What are you supposed to do then? How do you convince a person who really, 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 really needs to see a therapist that they need to see a therapist? How do you convince a person who's convinced that it's the other per- the spouse's problem that really they're the problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's almost impossible that you're, you're convincing them to go against everything they stand for, everything they've stood for up until that point. That's, I think, where it comes in. I hope I'm explaining that well, but, like, we'd have to... The, really, the question is, we have to go into the Oracle Sadiqim and, like, go into his de- definition of Aziz Pani more than anything else. In the DSM today. <laughs> That's a good call. That's the psychology, like, yeah, the, the psychology definition book, right? Then, yeah. All right, guys, let's stop right here.